This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, July 2nd, 2017, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Jim Fickert. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Uh, well, grab your Bibles, open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, uh, there's one in the back for you. Um, if you don't have a Bible at all, uh, feel free to take that one home with you. Uh, this is one of the benefits of being a guest preacher. I get to give away other people's stuff and look generous doing it. Um, so if, you're, if your chair is comfortable, feel free to take that with you. Uh, you know, whatever you see that looks interesting, take it home with you. We love you, and we are very... Um, no, it's a great honor to be here today. Um, uh, as, as Andrew said, I was a pastor at Damascus Road. I was actually at Damascus Road from when it started for the first five years, um, and I was a pastor there for two and a half of those years. And so um, um, lots of people here I know. This is kind of like a homecoming in many ways. Uh, but there's lots of you that I don't know. There's a lot of faces here that I've never seen before. And I think that uh, just points to the steadfastness of God now, as He keeps on bringing people into His family. God continues to build His church through what we may consider to be rather simplistic acts of faithfulness, which is what I'm going to talk about today. But before we get into the text, um, I want to do something else that I, only a guest pastor can do, and that is I want to brag about your pastors for a little bit. Um, that is to say, when your pastors talk about what a pastor is supposed to do, when they talk about the work of the ministry, um, they can only really, um, uh, well, be humbled by it and, and preach at the immensity of it all. Listen to some of the sermons uh, here. Uh, Sam's last sermon before he went on sabbatical about the anxious pastor. What Brian delivered a few weeks ago out of 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Right? It comes from this place of going like, man, this is a huge task that we are under. And they, they should preach it like that. I mean, that's literally what, what pastors do is they step up and they fail miserably over and over again. But I want to give you a slightly different perspective of the men uh, who lead this church. See, the letter of 2 Timothy is written from the, uh, the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who is this young pastor who has is, who is left Timothy's side, or Paul's side to go um, work in the church in Ephesus. And so while this letter is written to all Christians, um, it is written primarily to, to pastors living out their faith and leading others to do the same. Chapter 2 is aimed especially at this. Brian, two weeks ago, read or, or, or preached out of that. I want to read just a section of that. Um, Two through six, it says this, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And so it gives us this picture of what it means to be uh, in ministry and specifically to be a pastor. Pastors are to entrust, to teach, to suffer, to avoid, to compete, to work hard. And I will say this, there are a lot of pastors out there who don't do this. There are many churches being led by people who do not take seriously what Paul is talking about here. This, this charge, they fall far short of what Paul is calling Timothy to. But this is not one of those churches. Right? I know the pastors here very well, and I can say without hesitation that they, they labor, they suffer, they do whatever they can to take care of, to lead, to teach you all about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, does this mean they never mess up? 
Does this mean that they never, I don't know, sent an email when they should have made a phone call? No. Right? They're human. They have the same struggles that you do. They have the same extracurriculars that they do. You, you have, they have kids. They have fears. They have worries. But they are people who regularly step into situations which most of you will probably never have to deal with. They are people who take on burdens that no one, no one is prepared for and they do their best with them. And so when we read this, Paul is calling for, for people who step up and serve faithfully. He's not calling for superheroes. He is looking for men who are simply faithful. Again, that's what we're going to look at today. But I'll just say this, you have great models of that faithfulness here at Restoration Road Church. And I hope, I hope you never take that for granted. Now, when I use the word faithfulness, it's a big word. Well, yeah. What I mean is um, a long obedience in the same direction. All right? That's a term I stole from Eugene Peterson. It's the, the title of one of his books. He stole it from uh, the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, so I don't feel bad stealing it from him. A long obedience in the same direction, which is to say this is continuing to pursue Jesus and his mission over the long haul. Faithfulness is not getting sidetracked or worn down or so cynical that you lose the love that you had at first. It is enduring in the faith, ultimately. And so today, Paul is going to give Timothy an idea of what it looks like to live this out, to live out faith for the long haul. So let's get into it. Here's what he says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it says this, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Okay, we're going to stop there for a second. Paul tells Timothy that he must remember. Now, when you first look at that, it seems like a pretty stupid thing to say, right? I mean, Timothy, what's he going to do? Forget? His whole role is, is to entrust the gospel to others. Of course, he's not going to forget Jesus, right? You might have the same response when you come to this text, like, you know, I imagine this is probably a problem for other people in other churches, right? But we put it's all about Jesus right on the sign, we hang the cross right here. Like We're a gospel-centered church. We don't struggle with this. Let's move on. But notice what Paul actually says to Timothy. Paul doesn't tell Timothy to not forget. He tells him to remember. Now, this is more than just semantics. right? To not forget something is to assume that you already have it. To not forget something is to say, I have something over here. I just need to guard it and keep it protected. Remembering, however, is an active verb. It requires more than just avoiding the negative. It means to actively pursue Jesus, to do something. This is a mistake I see far too many people in the church making. It's this belief that faithfulness just happens. That if you just, you just sit in it long enough, that the passage of time is going to, to grow you and mature you in the faith. Lots of people make their decisions and their decisions within the church um, out of a fear of losing faith rather than an effort to actively remember. And when you do this, after a while, it leads you to a place where you get bored with the gospel. Eventually, the gospel becomes this story you already know that just isn't as exciting as it once was. 
But Christianity or the faith of someone who is merely trying to not forget is a Christianity where the gospel is not enough. And so what ends up happening is it needs to be refreshed and reimagined and redefined, all sorts of rewords, right, for a new generation. And there are books and blah. I mean, this is the new thing, right? But all of that, that whole idea of how, how, how the gospel needs to be refreshed comes from a presupposition that the problem is in the message. That the issue is with, with, with the story. The reason for all this is not because the gospel fell short. It's because Jesus was never actually what was being pursued. Jesus was always a means to something else. And when that thing isn't, isn't found, eventually Jesus gets pushed aside. He becomes expendable. This is a pattern we see in Scripture. There's a pattern that we see in church history. And some of you have probably lived this in your own life. So Paul tells Timothy to remember. And when Paul calls us and to remember, he's calling us to make Jesus the aim of our lives. To work to make Jesus the hope and joy of life because Paul knows that, that you will pursue something. If you're not pursuing Jesus, you are actively pursuing something else. If you're not remembering Jesus, you might not forget him, but you will lose your passion for him. And the church today is full of passionless Christians, people who are willing to acknowledge Jesus, people who are willing to, to, to go to church, people who, who love on their neighbors, but people who are not humbled by the excellence of his glory. People who are willing to call him teacher, but often not Lord or Messiah or Savior, which is really the three things that Paul points to here. Right? He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He is the risen Lord. Remember the offspring of David. He's the promised Messiah. Remember him as preached in my gospel. He is the Savior who is the pinnacle of the story of redemption. Paul is calling us to remember Jesus as he, present, as he is presented in Scripture and to live as if Jesus is actually who he says he is. So Paul here is challenging us. But it leads to a question, what does it actually look like then to pursue Jesus? Right? What kind of active remembering would help us to grow our faith rather than see it dwindle? Paul has already anticipated your question. And here's his answer in verse 9. He says, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. There's a few things here. Uh, let's start by answering the question that we asked. Um, what kind of active remembering would help our faith grow? Paul makes it clear that, that remembering is about the word. God's word is the means by which our faith grows. Now what does that mean? It means that we can trust that, that reading God's Word and studying it and hearing it preached and proclaiming it is the most effective way to grow in faithfulness. Both, both to, to grow it throughout the world as well as to grow it within ourselves. God's Word is the key to faithfulness. See, here's how God describes the, the activity of the Word. He says this in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. He says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom, whom we must all give account. Which is to say, in interacting with his word, we are, we are cut through and exposed. We see who we really are. We are laid bare so that we can see the, the, the true nature of our sinfulness. Right? Sounds good. Who's not up for that? Now, mercifully, God doesn't just show us all that at once. If God just showed us who we were, we would, we would, we would die. We would, I mean, there's a story of Isaiah when he, when he comes face to face with God, when he's in, in the presence of God, and he, 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 he screams out, I am a man of unclean lips. Right? I, can't even, I can't even be here. We aren't crushed like that. Instead, God uses his word to reveal our sin to us over time and meets us with his grace. So this is, this is the rhythm of, of what it looks like to grow in faithfulness. We see who we really are. We freak out a little bit. And then we learn a little bit more about God's grace. And we see a little bit more of who we are and it, it keeps going. And God uses this to shape, shape us into vessels of glory through the Spirit. Now, for many people, that's a sell, right? I mean, enter into this. Doesn't it sound like fun, guys? Um, there's a couple reasons for this. I'd say the first reason that, that, that God's Word, the first reason people don't want to enter into this is because God's Word doesn't work the way we think it should. We tend to be very linear in our thinking. Um, what that means is that uh, uh, we think of things in kind of, well, a straight line. That's why we teach history with a timeline. Uh, when it comes to how things work, we tend to measure things in practical terms, like growth and expansion. When it comes to God's Word, then we want to understand how speaking or reading and teaching the truth creates this sort of linear success. How does A lead to B? God, show me how this works. Prove it to me, and I, I'm all in. But I have to see it. God doesn't work that way. What God calls us to do is be faithful. To obey Him regardless of whether or not we, we have all the answers. And He promises us that in doing this, in, in our obedience, through our obedience, He will draw us into this deeper affection for Jesus. And so as we practice word-based acts of faith, it will stir our faithfulness. And as our faithfulness is, is, is stirred, we will, we will become more passionate about the Word. It's kind of circular rather than linear. And by working this way, God invites us into a process by which we are continually refined by Him through His Word. And there's no way that we could ever try to make this process work apart from Him. And so linear thinking asks questions like this. What comes first, the faith or the faithfulness? Right? If we read God's Word and we don't feel like it, aren't we just practicing dead religion? What if we really don't have a personality that learns that way? Right? Or shouldn't we evangelize in a way that the greatest, to get the greatest number of converts? It, it, it wants to use the end goal to determine the means, which is backwards from how the Bible teaches us. I'll give you an example of this using that last question. Shouldn't we evangelize in a way that wins the greatest number of converts? What that question presupposes is that God's greatest concern for us is that we make as many Christians as possible. 
God's greatest concern in the world is to see as many Christians as possible. And if that's what he cares about, then we better do whatever we can to make that happen. It doesn't even matter what we do. That is the thing that matters. However, to quote famous theologian Sam Ford, um, from a sermon he preached a very long time ago, our act of worship is in the proclamation of the gospel, not the result of conversion. God is glorified through our evangelism. People being saved is just a perk. It's about eight years ago. I still remember him saying that because it was such a helpful turn in the way that I viewed what God was doing. A helpful way for us to view our part. We are to commit ourselves to the Word of God so that He can use it in us and through us to do His work. Which leads us to the second reason why so many people reject this idea. And that is because it appears to be losing. Right? It's great to say, God is, going, is at work. Faithfulness is going to produce results. But when we actually look at our own lives, when we look at the world around us, we go, are these really the results? Some of the efforts to stop God's Word seem to be working better than what we're doing to promote His Word. Right? We happen to live in a time where we don't always feel like we're winning. Now, it's nothing in comparison with where, when Paul wrote this, but it's easy to find yourself in a place where you're ready to change your convictions and even to distrust the ability of faithfulness to work because of your situation. Fear is a very strong motivation. And this tangible emotion has the ability to be more powerful than the promises of God. And so what Paul does for Timothy here is he gives him an image to hold on to. He gives him something and he says, he says, remember this. And here's, yeah, here's what he says. He sets up this contrast for Timothy. He says of this contrast that is his situation compared with God's situation, right? So what he says to Timothy is this, look where I am, right? I'm in prison. What am I in prison for? I'm in prison for preaching the gospel. Or if we look back at Paul, Paul gave his life for the spread of the gospel. He's talking about Jesus everywhere he goes. Sometimes the places that he goes, that doesn't go over very well. Over and over again in his life, then Paul would be arrested. He would face chains for the sake of the gospel. So if we're going to do a linear mapping of Paul's life, right, it doesn't go like this. It kind of goes like this, right? It's like planting churches, shipwrecked, right? Things are going really well, beaten almost to death. Oh man, everything, prison. And so Paul says, right now, I'm down. But God is not down. God's word cannot be held down. He says specifically, God's word is not bound. Which reminds me of a very overused sermon illustration that I'm going to use anyway, right? Has anyone seen the movie Braveheart? 
Right. No, there's this great part, though, in the movie Braveheart at the end, right, where he's laying, he's laying down and they're, they're, they're torturing him, and it's really wonderful. Um, but he's going through the worst of the worst, and what they're trying to do is make him recant of what he was doing, right? He's leading the, 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 the Scottish rebellion, and they're trying to get him to basically reject everything that he's done. And the reason they do that is because if they can get the heroes to basically reject everything that they've done, it kind of puts a, puts a shot into the uprising. And so they're, they're doing all of these things, torturing him in order to get him to just simply recant his mission, turn against his people. And in the middle of it, they say, oh, he's got something to say. And they walk up to him and that's, you know, Mel Gibson, freedom, right? Now have you seen this movie? I swear this was a popular movie at one point. <laughs> right? But, but the reason why that moment is so powerful is because it's in his greatest moment of weakness, he is, he's reverting the attention back to the movement or the thing that he represents. His life was just a small part of something much greater. Paul is giving them a similar image here. right? Think about this image of him in chains, in prison, going, God's word is not bound. This doesn't worry me. To Paul, the story that he is a part of, the cause he represents, is not just bigger than him. It is actively working apart from him. This doesn't stop anything. And we can use this same truth to build our faith. Right? There's three things I think we can get out of this statement. God's word is not bound. First thing we can see is that it means that we don't measure the effectiveness of our faith by our circumstances. Now, this is true in terms of, of, of whether or not we feel like God is blessing our efforts and everything is going great. It also means that we don't go, man, because I am so persecuted, I must be doing something right. right? Neither of those are true and good ways to measure how well things are going. You simply cannot gauge God's work by your current status. Faithfulness does not always produce immediate results. However, we can trust that all acts of faith are effective. We only have so much time on this earth and we don't want to waste it, right? We're always looking for the, the sure thing over kind of, uh. God promises us that our efforts connected to his word are never purposeless. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is on Isaiah chapter 55, where God talks about his word going out into the world. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, it says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word has been given to us to go and do his will in the world. And we can have confidence that he can and will use our faithfulness for his glory. It never comes back void. Which brings us to the third thing that we learn from this, and that is faith is the way that we keep going when life is hard. Right? Paul uses his situation over and over again in the epistles to point people towards the concept of suffering well. 
As a matter of fact, the very next verse, verse 10, he gets to this idea of kind of, kind of keeping going and endurance. He says in verse 10 of, of 2 Timothy 2, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so we see these words, right? Endure and persevere and even faithfulness. They imply this period of time. The life that Paul is, is, is pressing us toward is not one where we're prepping for our 15 minutes of fame. No, every, even here, I should say, Paul says, I endure everything. And many will think that what he is saying there is that, that he would give it all for Jesus if it came to that. And people say that all the time, kind of like they, they, they think of this scenario where basically like, like I'm living my life and all of a sudden like the Nazis come in or some crazy thing, right? And, and, and hold everyone at gunpoint and says, do you believe in Jesus? And like, I'm prepped for that. I will never deny Jesus, which of course we know we probably will fail at anyway. But we think of it in terms of like this buildup towards that one moment. While every day in our lives, we have the opportunity to prove our faithfulness over and over and over again. And we don't even see it. In our short attention span, clickbait culture, we tend to give much more credit to the heroic moment than we do to the faithful life. Right? We share these videos of this moment of generosity and we cry at our computer screens. We miss the lives that are filled with those moments. Now, there's nothing wrong with a shareable video. They're great, aren't they? But it's shifted how we look at faithfulness. I could be wrong, but it seems to me that the, that the elevating of these amazing instants has devalued consistency. Maybe not devalued it, but it certainly made, made just simple acts of faithfulness feel insignificant most of the time. And most of us are preparing for some future moment rather than living faithfully in the present. I love that the Bible constantly points us to, to imply passages of time because I believe that it helps us to see the moment right in front of us is important and necessary and the one right after that and the one right after that and the one right after that. The world is not a speed bump to eternity for those who belong to Jesus. The eternity has already begun. For a while, we have a chance to live out an otherworldly faithfulness in a world that is dying. We get to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We get to be the proclaimers of His word to a world that, that, that has rejected Him. 1 Peter 2 invites us into this role, or I should say, uh, describes the role we're invited into. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So remembering Jesus, the Lord, Messiah, the Savior, reshaping our life by His Word, it allows us to take on this new identity where we allow the things that we valued before to be reconsidered in light of eternity. And I'll just say this about eternity. It's a long time. Right? No. Uh, if you trust and if you believe that you are going to live forever, live forever 
in the new heavens and the new earth, then you're not missing out on anything right now. Think about that. We cling so tightly to all of these things and moments and, and you know, Instagrammable vacations. We worry about sacrifice because of what we are going to miss. That is all silly when it is compared to eternity. And so when Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, he doesn't see this as some epic sacrifice. He sees this as actually taking advantage of the time that he has. We have all the time in the world for fun and for joy. We have eternity. But I only have this life for faithfulness. Right? Because faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. It's out of Hebrews 11. And eternal glory in the presence of Jesus Christ will not require faith because we will see it. It will be tangible. Faithfulness is the fight that we have for now. To pursue, to live in the world, to, 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 to choose God instead of something else. And I say fight, well, number one, because Paul says it all the time, but secondly, because while we will worship Jesus without hindrance in that eternal glory, right now our affection is torn. Right? Like Paul, we desire to do what is right, but we just keep failing. It's his description out of Romans chapter 7, right? I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep doing. Now, this isn't him throwing in the towel and going, oh, I can't ever get it right. Why try? No, he's simply acknowledging his own failure to be what he's calling everyone else to do. He's recognizing that he isn't faithful. He's saying what we all know to be true. We don't live up to the standard that we've committed to. And in that, he leads to this question, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I know this is true. What do I do with it? And for Paul, there's only one answer. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in all of this, what we see is that Paul is setting us up for a worldview where Jesus is the focus of our effort. He's the motivation for our faithfulness. He's the means of holding our faith together. He is the one growing our faith by his word. He is the one who is there when our faith fails. This is what it means to be gospel-centered. It means Jesus is the source of the faith, the author and the perfecter, as well as the reason why faith exists. It's for his glory. And so after giving us all of these details... After, after laying out all of these pieces, Paul ends with a section here modeling worship, modeling response. He says, this is what faith is. Now he's going to say, this is what faith looks like. And he ends this section with a little poem or hymn. And I'll say this, I love this about Paul. As you're reading through a lot of his letters, he'll be like really technical He'll be like, like putting out this, this argument with, you know, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about your questions before you even ask them. And, and then he'll just break out into song. 
right? He'll be like, oh, you can't think like that. Praise Jesus, right? It happens all the, it's, it's amazing. This is one of those moments, and, and he's talking about faithfulness, but all of a sudden he, he, he breaks out in this worship of God, and he, he basically re-clarifies everything else that he said in this, uh, in this section. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the whole song. I'm not going to sing it, right? I will read the whole thing, and then I'll go through it kind of line by line real quick. It's a good summary of what we've looked at today. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it says this, This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we have also lived with, if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So he says, if, if we have died with him, we also will live with him. Over and over again, Jesus talks about this idea of, of our need to die to ourselves. Right? Deny ourselves, take up our cross follow him. We cannot be faithful to God by, as we drag along with us all of our former desires and loves. If we are going to follow Jesus, it means that we are going to have to reorganize and reprioritize our lives to focus and center on him. The Christian life is a life of self-denial. But it isn't giving up these things to prove yourself. Look how stoic I can be. I haven't had fun in years. It's simply saying, I believe this enough that I'm willing to let it go. I'm willing to let go of the temporary to hold on to that which is divine, to that which is actually important. And the more you get to know Jesus, the easier this is. I would say this, that's a really hard sell to someone who's never done it. Right? That first step of faith is the hardest. When you actually see the goodness of God, it becomes something you want to do. So if we have died with him, we will also live with him. He says, if we endure, we will also reign with him, right? There's that endure word again. Our faith is revealed in time. It is grown by moment, um, by, by moment after moment of faithfulness. Rather than looking at acting out our faith and being Christian as some sort of building a case for your justification, right? Think of faithfulness as stoking a fire, your faith needs to be sustained or else it will die. You need to keep going back to Jesus or else you will get bored. And the result of this perseverance we see here is that we get to reign with Jesus. The result of sto stoking the fire and enduring is that we will live forever in perfection with our Savior. He then says, if we deny him, he also will deny us, which is to say the way that we live matters. Grace is not some, some easy cover for whatever you want to do. There's this constant attack on faithfulness. Presenting God's grace and love is some inevitable hug that he'll give to all people. The reality is the same, is that in the same way, that faith will be rewarded and justice will be punished. And this should give us some urgency to this life we now live. Not only for ourselves, but for everyone else we know. Paul then says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Up to this point, the first clause and the second clause of his, his, his little poem match. 
right? If you die, you will live with him. If you endure, you will reign with him. If you deny him, he will deny you. And so we think we know what's coming. We think the next line um, is basically, if we are faithless, I don't know, he will be faithless towards us. He will reject us. He will withhold good from us. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, in spite of our failure, he remains faithful. Now, some people think that this means, um, in order to make it fit with the others, that, that Jesus will be faithful in justice, which is a very true statement about Jesus, but I don't think that's what he's saying here. Right? I, I don't believe that because of the last line. The last line of his hymn is this, he cannot deny himself. And what this does is it draws me back to Moses' plea to God in Exodus chapter 32. Right, there's this story back in the Old Testament. Probably learned it in Sunday school if you did that. Um, kids might be learning it today, as a matter of fact. Right? The Israelites build a, an idol while Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down. He's not real happy. God's even madder. And God basically says, I'm going to destroy my people Israel. They're a worthless bunch. Um, and so Moses goes to him and Moses appeals Moses says, don't destroy them. And what is the appeal on the grounds of? Well, not, not on the grounds of their goodness, because that has been shown to not be there. Um, not on the value of humanity. Moses appeals based on God's character. Right, here's what he says, Exodus 32. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. And said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And then it says, the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. This is why Paul has hope. It has nothing to do with him. It has nothing to do with the people that he looks around with and goes, we got a pretty good team here, don't we? What fuels his faithfulness is that God will be faithful to his people. That's who he is. He is a faithful God. And while our faithfulness fails over and over again, while we make a mess of this life of worship, we can rest on the fact that the faithfulness that we are judged by is not our own. For those who are in Jesus, you have been given an alien righteousness. Not actually from aliens. That means it's from somewhere else. It's a goodness that comes not from your ability to get better and achieve the level that God has set for you. But it comes from holding tightly, loving and trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So very simply, Paul's directions here out of 2 Timothy chapter 2 are this. Be faithful. Remember Jesus. Let his word be on your lips at all times and trust that his word will accomplish everything that it needs to do. And then rest in his grace. That's God's word for today. Let's pray.